let's, uh, I know we just prayed, but let's pray again. Let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, we thank you for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, may you meet us here. May you minister to every heart, whatever may, anybody may be going through here tonight. May you just minister to them. We pray for those watching on live stream as well. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... So as we know, Ezra is, they have returned from 70 years in bondage. We know that uh, Cyrus, the, the Persian king, overthrew the Babylonians. The reason the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity or exile for 70 years was because of their disobedience to the Lord, because they had started worshiping false gods and worshiping idols. If you were here during First and Second Chronicles, we saw that all the kings in Israel, all of them, after the days of David and Solomon were evil, every one. Some of the kings from Judah, the southern kingdom, were good, but eventually they all ended up in bondage. So now they're allowed to come back, but we know that when Nebuchadnezzar came and took people like Daniel and others away to Babylon, and then when they were all taken captive, that Jerusalem was left in ruins. There was nothing left. It was just a bunch of rubble. The temple itself, that the, the amazing temple, Solomon's temple, if you will, uh, was leveled. And so we saw in the first few chapters, they were given the ability to come back to Jerusalem. But sadly, out of the million or more people that were taken captive, less than 50,000 chose to come back to Jerusalem. They had to travel some 900 miles. I don't know if they walked by foot or if they had horses or how they got there, but Many estimated it would have taken a couple months. And then when they got back, Babylon was a beautiful city, even though it was as pagan as a day is long. But when they got back, there was nothing left. And they just start from scratch when they walked up upon it. And we saw the very first thing that they did was they, re they put down the foundation for the temple and they put an altar on its place and they began to worship the Lord. And so for the first time in 70 years, there were sacrifices, there was worship, they observed Passover, they observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the people were rejoicing and so happy. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that the young men were excited because for them, they had never been able to sacrifice in Babylon. They'd been surrounded by idolatry. So they were excited to see at least the foundation of the temple and that it was going to eventually be built. And the older men, it said they all wept. And they wept because they had seen the beautiful temple of Solomon. They had seen Jerusalem in all of its glory, and they come back and they see a city that's been leveled to the ground. And so we saw that as they began to build the temple last week, if you were here last week, um, we talked about, I titled the message last week, and the title is going to be similar today because it's about opposition. But when you follow the Lord, you're going to face opposition. So as soon as they had the foundation there, as soon as it was ready and they were going to start building upon it, the people in the surrounding areas in the land, mainly the Samaritans who were half Gentile and half Jew, came and told and warned the king and said, if you let them rebuild this city, you'll never see any taxes from the river on and they'll have an army eventually that will come against you. And so what happened was the king said, you know, listened to what they had to say and told them they had to cease building the temple and cease building the city. So they were building their houses and things like that, but they were not rebuilding the temple and again, the place of worship, and they were not rebuilding the walls around the city either. So they were kept in a place where they weren't, you know, didn't have a defense around them and they were not able to worship God. So now as we pick up this week, they've been told to stop. It's been about 15 years since they stopped building. And so for 15 years, they've just been living their life kind of forgetting about the temple. They just forgot about even doing it. And what were they doing? They were distracted. They were focusing only on building their own homes and living their own lives and forgetting about what God had commanded them to do when he sent them there some 15 years earlier. And because they'd been told no by the government, in a sense, they just gave up and said, well, I guess we're not going to do that. And they started living their lives. And so I titled the message, if you have your notes for Ezra chapter 5, how to have victory in the face of the enemy's attacks. So whenever God is moving, the enemy is going to move as well. 
He doesn't like it when God is doing great things. So when you are serving the Lord, whether, and in your mind, whether you think it's a small way or a great way, any way that you serve the Lord is a great thing. Amen? And whether you're, you can be serving the Lord in a way that you think is just simple and practical, and all of a sudden, you know, your car breaks down and you can't get here. You know, you're getting sick every Sunday or whatever it might be. And we see these things happen where whenever the Lord wants to do something in you and through you, the enemy wants to put a stop to it. And so we're going to see that again tonight because it's been 15 years and they've just kind of gone on with their lives and they've forgotten about the temple. And God's going to bring some prophets to come and exhort them, men you've heard of. We'll talk about that when we get to it. So point number one, how do you have victory? Because so the, the enemy continues to attack and how do we have victory when the enemy attacks? Number one, by remaining faithful and humble. Guys, we don't First of all, the devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Amen? Only old people know who Flip Wilson was. So if you laugh at that, then you're old like me. Welcome to the club, right? The devil made me do it. Can't make you do anything, right? And so the devil can't make us do anything, but he can. His heart is to, if he can't take you to hell with him, you hear me say this often, he'll do everything he can to distract you or render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. If he, can, he says, look, he's already saved, she's already saved, they won't go to hell with me, but i just as soon have him sit on the sideline and do nothing for the kingdom of God, have a saved soul and a wasted life, have no impact, not use their gifts. And that's kind of what was taking place in Jerusalem. Everybody's on the sideline. And so the first thing that needs to happen, we need faithful and humble. Again, it went from opposition from the outside to distraction and self-centeredness on the inside. See, once the time had gone by and they could have started to rebuild, they just didn't do it anyway. Because before the, the government said no, and now they've, had a, they've got a new king already. They've had a couple of new kings. And they could have started rebuilding, but they didn't. And so a lot of times it, we face opposition from the outside. And after the opposition goes away, we're so complacent that now it's just laziness on the inside. Self-centeredness where, well, yeah, I was going to do that before it was difficult. Now I could do it, but hey, I'm doing what I'm doing. We'll see to remain faithful. God's kingdom was not built when I put my own desires, agenda, and goals and wants in front of God's. Amen? Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Make him the priority and the passion of your life. And when you put your will and your desire and your agenda and your goals above serving the Lord, that's when you become unusable for the kingdom of God. Number two, when you respond in obedience to do God's will, don't be surprised when the enemy rises up. So nearly every spiritual advance in scripture came from people being faithful to God's word. We can start from Noah. Hey, Noah, it's never rained. I need you to build a boat. What's a boat? Okay. Matter of fact, I'm not just talking about a boat. I'm talking about a big boat. Took him 120 years to build it. And during the 120 years when he was being obedient to the Lord, he was getting raked over the coals by everyone else mocking him for what he was doing. The fact that he said water's going to fall from the sky when it never had, that in and of itself sounded like aliens are landing, right? And then they're just mocking him mercilessly. So he's being faithful to God and facing opposition from the world. See the same thing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see the same thing with the apostles, right? So anytime somebody's called by God and the word of God has been you know, you know, shared with them, exhorted to them, given to them, there's a calling upon their life, the enemy is going to rise up against it and do everything that he can to distract you and keep you from doing God's will. Again, when the word of God comes, it's quickly tested, opposed by men and the enemy. Obey God and leave the results in his hands. Part of the reason we get frustrated in serving the Lord is sometimes we will serve him or, or we will be praying and we don't see immediate results. So we kind of give up. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Amen? We pray in our time, God answers in his time and his timing is perfect. Amen? But I'll hear that. Well, I've been praying about this for a long time and God has an, how's long time? Well, four days, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? This mentality that we can get, we're used to the microwave and it, we think it's long when it's two minutes in the drive-through. So, you know, for us praying four or five days in a row, man, why, I don't understand why he didn't just part the Red Sea after that. But the reality is that we pray in our time, God answers in his time and his timing is perfect. Amen. By the way, I mentioned this on Sunday. I don't know why, but I saw Matthew Perry on a, on a uh, talk show about a year ago, and he was, you know, was talking about his addiction struggles and everything else. And I'm, I'm not, I've never, never really watched the show. It was, I know, a little bit, right? But, uh, you know, somewhat like anybody else. But I just had a burn for him, so I started praying for him. 
on my long list. He just was on my list. And I prayed for him every day, but I prayed for him a lot. And when he passed away on Sunday or uh, Saturday, I was really bummed. I'm like, oh man, Lord. And then about three or four people have sent me things saying that he got saved. So he gave his life to the Lord and he's in heaven now. So praise God. Amen. But the point is we pray in our time, God answers in his time. Amen. And sadly, what will happen is we, when, you know, know that the enemy is going to rise up and he's going to do everything he can to distract you. He's going to do everything to make you think it's not worth it. He's going to do everything to get yourself to isolate yourself from, from fellowship, right? We need to be in fellowship. I'm talking to the Thursday night crowd. You guys know that. Number three, give God your best. Don't just serve him halfway. You know, it's interesting in the, in the workplace, the thing that God put on my heart early on in my early 20s is I wanted to be the best worker in the building. And I just believe that's what the Lord would have us do. Amen? If we're going to work, we do our job as unto the Lord. Every time I got a new boss, I would tell my new boss. I get, I had, it's funny, I counted them the other day, and I had like 17 bosses, right? In the 35 years that I was there, they come and go. And they wanted me to go into management. I'm, I'm like, I'm good right where I'm at. I'm good. Those guys come and go, man. I, I can't even keep their names. You know, they just come and go, man. I've been here the whole time. I ain't going nowhere. But every time I would get a new boss, I would always introduce myself, and I would always tell them the same thing. Hey, and they'd always, you know, by the grace of God, they'd always say, hey, I hear great things about you. I know you're a leader. I know you've been here a long time, and I'm excited to have you on my team. I'm like, great. Well, here's the thing. You're my boss now, so here's what, here's what that means. I'm going to do my job as unto the Lord, and I'm going to do everything I can to bless you and make your job easy. You will never hear me complain. You will never hear, if you, if you need anybody to do something difficult, I volunteer right now, and I will do it forever. I will be a source of encouragement to all the other people on our team. I promise you that. You will never hear me badmouth mouth you, badmouth the company, or badmouth anybody that works here. I'm going to be salt and light. I'm going to honor the Lord, and I'm going to pray for you every single day. So tell me what your prayer requests are, because I'm going to start praying for you today. And so I want to honor you and everything that I say and do. Now, now, what's, now I want to say this. That puts you on it now. Amen. You can't say that on Monday and be complaining during the sales meeting on Thursday, right? But the point is this, we want to do our job as unto the Lord. We don't want to do anything halfway for God. Amen. We want to do everything we do for the Lord with excellence. If we're going to teach, we would need to be prepared. If we're going to lead worship, we need to be ready. If we're going to be teaching the children's ministry, we need to be prayed up and have a lesson prepared. If we're going to come here early to help set things up, we're going to be on time and do it as unto the Lord. May we do everything we do with all that we have for the Lord, because he gave everything for us in sending his son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Amen? How dare we give him back half? So may we give all that we have to the Lord. The depths of our belief will be reflected in the depths of our passion to serve the Lord, given the best of our time, our treasures, and our talents. Number four, your testimony should include both the faithfulness of God and your need for redemption. So I had a bunch of divine appointments this week, as always. Several were very, just incredible. But I, I run into people from time to time, and you've met people like this, and they'll you don't know them super well, and they'll tell you about their walk with the Lord, and you're halfway through it, and you think, wow, God must be really blessed to have you on his side, because you're perfect, bro. And there's this mentality of, you know, all of my kids are at Harvard, and, you know, I, I've got this job, and, and when, I, when I teach the Bible, 6,000 people come forward and get saved every Sunday. You know, I mean, this mentality, there's this mentality just almost bragging about how great they are, and how gifted they are, and how, and you know what? I don't see any of the apostles doing that. Apostle Paul went from the least of the apostles to the chief of sinners. I don't think he was more of a sinner. I think he was closer to the Lord, and he hated his sin more. Amen? And as believers, we need to remain humble. And, and when we share our testimony, we need to let people know. Now, look, we leave behind our old life, and we don't have to drag that with us, and God's forgiven us. But I think at the same time, we're going to see in tonight's text that we need to let people know, yeah, we failed. And he, redeemed, he forgave me. While I was, we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Guys, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise goes to him. None of it goes to us. Amen? And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, and we're just tools in the hands of the master, or we cannot be used for his glory. And so we're going to see in tonight's text, I love, there's a couple of verses here where they're really transparent, like, yeah, we were, yeah, we were in Babylon because we were idol worshipers. We got drug off because we were in sin. And you know what? Praise God for that, because it, it gives people hope that are still struggling with that. How many guys sinned this week? Hands on up, you're a liar. So 
So, I mean, we've all, you know, thought life, everything, right? So we recognize we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and we need to stay in a place of being humble, broken, desperate, and usable for the kingdom of God. And then finally, obey the laws of the land. We, are to be, we should be the best citizens, amen? Now, when does that become an exception? When they tell us to disobey the Word of God, amen? So we want to obey, drive the speed limit, obey the law. By the way, I love the police, and I love our military, Love them. You know why I love them? Romans 13 says they were placed in authority by Almighty God. Amen? So I love them. I respect them. When I see them, I tell them, thank you. Amen? You don't hate police? Criminals. <laughs> Amen? So as believers, we should honor those in authority, including your boss, including you know, your HOA in your neighborhood. <laughs> Bunch of you just went, okay, I... I can do the police, but I don't know about the HOA. <laughs> the point I'm making is we want to be faithful to that until they tell us we can't have church on Sundays. And we had church on Sundays anyway. And we were kind and loving. And when the police came and they came by a few times and I thought I might be arrested, I said, that's okay. We've got other pastors. But they all said, well, we're not going to arrest pastors. And, you know, we're letting drug addicts, out, drug dealers out. We're not going to put pastors in jail. But the point is that even when we take a stand against what the government says, we still do it uh, with humility. Amen? But we honor God. Who should we obey, God or man? Amen? We obey God. Now, obey man unless it's contrary to the word of God. So let's begin there looking how to have victory in the face of the enemy's attacks. So we ended it last week that they've been, at this point, coming into this chapter 15 years. The temple has stopped being built. They're back in the land they're not building the wall. They're not building the temple. All they're probably working on are just their own homes so they can be comfortable there. And so all this laid is the foundation for the temple, and it's just been sitting there in ruins, and people are walking by it every day and not even thinking about it. Look at verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai, or Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So it's been 15 years. And again, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were, were they excited to be back in Jerusalem? What's the answer? Were they excited to lay the foundation for the temple? What's the answer? Were they excited to have the sacrificial system again and to be able to worship God openly outside of idolatry? What's the answer? Were they excited about the feast? Yes, they were. Were they disappointed when they were forced to stop? And the answer is yes. But now these two prophets are sent by God and have come to exhort them to get back about the business of God. Now, the good news is we know exactly what Haggai, or Haggai said to them, depending on how you want to pronounce it, because it's in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Now, I'm not going to read all of it, but we get a glimpse into why and how Haggai exhorted the people of Jerusalem after 15 years of zero progress on the temple. And it wasn't just zero progress. Again, they were distracted and they were self-centered. They were just focused on their own lives. They were just living their life. They were distracted by the things of the world and the things of God just were not a priority. And they're walking by the temple every day. Well, one of the issues at the heart of rebuilding the temple was that the people were more concerned about their own comfort the building God's temple. How do I know that? Here's what it says in Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel. Remember, he was the leader until Ezra comes later, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, saying this to the people, the time has not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. So here's what the people were saying. Why aren't you building a temple? It's not time right now. We've got other things going on. It's not time to do that. This is what happens in a lot of believers' lives. They think, well, once I get this part of my life done, then I'll start serving the Lord. As soon as all my kids are in school, as soon as all my kids are in high school, as soon as all my kids graduate, as soon as all my kids are married, as soon as I retire from my job, and we want to keep putting off serving the Lord. Guys, we need to serve the Lord wherever we are right now. Amen? We don't wait upon that. And so that says in the verse that they were saying, the time has not yet come. 
the time for the Lord's house to be built. They were making excuses and making it sound spiritual. Well, I've prayed about it, and the Lord just told me to sit back and do nothing. Uh, that's not, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Amen? The Lord told me just to go watch Netflix. No, he didn't, okay? Then it says, verse 3, Then the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in, the, in, in your paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins. He's saying, hey, so there, this is the time for you to be building stuff for yourself. You're building a guest house. You bought a new, you know, you bought a new boat, right? You got a new carriage and a chariot. You're, you know, you're doing all this stuff and the temple should remain in ruins. You remember when King David was heartbroken when he recognized, how can I live in a palace and almighty God be in a tent? And so he was convicted to build the temple. The Lord didn't allow him because he was a man of, of war and he, his son built it instead. And so the ex exhortation is coming that you guys are so busy about your life and so busy about your own comfort that you forgot about God's calling upon your life. The people were spending all their time uh, at Ikea and Home Depot, <laughs> right? Getting stuff for their houses while the temple sat there still in rubble with only the foundation built. In verse five of Haggai says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled when you drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into bags filled with holes. The people were in a tough economy. God was hinting that the things were tough because they were putting their own priorities above God's priorities. Priorities. He said, look, you're making yourself the priority and you still don't have enough food to eat. You make yourself the priority, you still don't have enough money in the bank. You make yourself a priority and things are still in disarray. And guys, when we make ourselves the priority, our flesh will never, ever, 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 ever be satisfied. Amen? You're never going to get to the point where you're like, okay, I've arrived. Because there's always going to be something missing, especially in the heart of a believer. God's kingdom is not built when I put my desires and my agenda and my goals and my wants in front of God. So God spoke to the people through the prophet. This is verses 7 and 8 of Haggai. He says, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Is that pretty direct? He says, Go up into the woods, cut down some trees, Go up on the hill and build the temple and be about it. So for 15 years, they were saying, it's not God's time. It's not God's time. Oh, it's just not God's time. It's not God's time for me to serve. And so God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you two prophets, not just one. And the first one is Haggai, and he lets them know, it's, you need to be about it for the kingdom of God. It's time for you to stop sitting on the sideline and start rebuilding the temple. God called them to work. And sometimes God's causes needs work that's supported not by prayer. But guys, we need to pray, but we need to put feet to our faith at the same time. Amen? Here's, here's the biggest cop-out of Christianity, and we've all done it. We see someone hurting, oh, I'll pray for them. Right? I'm praying for you. Okay, well, if they're hurting and they're hungry, how about bringing them a bag of groceries? Can I get any men to that? Too often what happens is we excuse, now, should we pray? What's the answer? Absolutely. But prayer, you know, doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. And when we pray for people, we start becoming burdened for people. And God starts stirring our heart to just go help that person, go serve that person, go love on that person, go minister to that person. Amen? And sometimes we just use it as an escape. The people had allowed a delay beyond their control to become a delay of their own choosing. So for a time, the, they had literally brought armed guards in that made them stop building. But now, we're a couple of kings down the road. 15 years have passed by. There haven't been anybody stopping them from building in a long time. And they stopped anyway. And now the prophet comes and says, you guys need to be about God's work. Maybe that's a message for somebody in this room. Maybe for several of us. That we've been sitting on the sideline and, and again, going to church is great. Being in fellowship is great. But God has a calling on your life. God wants to use the gifts you've given him for his kingdom and for his glory and may we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. It went from opposition on the outside to distraction and self-centeredness on the inside amongst God's people. Now that was just Haggai. So that's just him. Then it says there in verse 1, And Zechariah, the son of Edo. Sounds like he should be a Star Wars character or something. <laughs> so Zechariah, his prophecy was different. 
Haggai's encouragement was to build the temple. Zechariah directed them to have a more spiritual focus in their lives. So guys, as believers, we need to do the practical building, but we also need to be growing spiritually within. Amen? So it's a physical growth and a a practical way of growing, but also Zechariah comes with a totally different message. Now, Zechariah's name is the Lord Remembers. And what a great name, what a great thing that they needed to hear because the Lord remembered the temple. The Lord remembered what Jerusalem was. The Lord remembered all his promises to all of Israel. The Lord remembers. The people have forgotten, but the Lord had not. It's a fitting name for a prophet of restoration. The prophet was called to encourage and mobilize God's people to accomplish a task that began and lost momentum in completing. He encouraged them by telling them about the Lord's love for them, it's in Zechariah, and keeping the presence of the Messiah on their minds. He encouraged them to let them know the Lord loves you. He loves you so much, and he's got a plan for your life, and the Messiah is coming, and we need to be faithful, and we need to be busy about his work. Again, allowing God's work to go undone as they focus on their own comfort should have not rested until the work was done. Guys, we should not, you know when we get to rest? Heaven. I always tell people that. People go, Pastor Dave, your schedule's crazy. I'll rest when I get to heaven. Amen? When we get to heaven, we're going to rest. Now, we're going to still serve God in heaven too. By the way, the Bible says we will serve in heaven. Some, some people got all bummed. They're like, I thought I was going to float on a cloud and eat bonbons. No, that's not what's happening. When we get to heaven, we're going to continue to grow in the Lord. We'll continue to serve Almighty God. Amen? But you know what? It tells you where your heart is, because if serving God is something you love, you're going to love heaven. If you're not serving God here, you better get about it, because you're going to be doing it when you get to heaven. Amen? He also warned them of the consequences of neglecting God's work. That's what Zechariah did. He emphasized that God wants to do a work through His people, and it's true of all of us, as the Lord wants to do a work in us and through us, and may we not allow distraction to keep us from God's work. Do you know that you may have a gift that nobody else in this church has? Or you may have a calling on your life, and there are ministries I would love to see take place, and certainly there's more ministries now than there's ever been in the history of our church, but there's a lot more things I'd love to see happen. But you know what? Everybody that I, most of the people I know are serving are serving like crazy already. So there's got to be other people that God's going to raise up to do it. Amen? And you know what? As, you're, as the Lord puts places a calling upon your life. And by the way, if you come up to me and say, hey, we need this ministry, that means you're probably going to be in charge of it. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. If we all had what Haggai had to say, we might think, if all we heard was what Haggai said, we would think that the focus is just building the temple. But that's why Zechariah is along too. Because Zechariah gives us the rest of the story and shows us how God is interested in building lives, not just buildings. Amen? We have people talk a lot about the fact that we meet in a tent. And yeah, we pray about a building often. By the way, I'm really glad that the Jesus movie came out when it did because all of a sudden the tent was cool. So we need to hang on that for a while. Amen? And we love this campus outside the tent can be a little uncomfortable sometimes. For me, look, here's the reality. Jesus hung on a cross for us. We can sit on some plastic chairs in a tent for him. Amen? So then it says, again, they prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So God has given us this whole counsel. We want, to, we want to understand the word of God. We want to be faithful to the word of God. We want to be faithful to the giftings God's given us. We don't want to fall into the trap of sitting on the sideline and just being so distracted by chasing after the thing. Now, again, should we work? What's the answer? Yes. Should we work hard? Answer is yes. Should we do it as unto the Lord? Should we be good husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and grandparents and employees and brothers? All of those things are true. But we can do all of that and serve God at the same time. Amen? And we should be serving God in how we do that. Verse number two. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, here's what I love. The prophets exhort them, and then they grab a hammer. And too often what you, you can see sometimes, you'll have people that are telling everyone else what to do, and they don't do anything. And to me, one of the great what thing we should see is the Bible says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be servant of all. And I used to love, when I was, I grew up in Calvary Costa Mesa as a kid after getting saved at First Baptist Church of Wilmington, we moved to Orange County. 
And I would see Pastor Chuck out in the parking lot on his hands and knees, scraping gum out of the parking lot between services and picking up cigarette butts. And again, he didn't do that for anybody to notice, but it was like, he, you know, guys, every, all of us are servants. Amen? All of us are servants. And so it's one thing to tell everyone, well, you need to do that, and you should be sharing your faith. When's the last time you shared your faith? Never. But you should all be sharing your faith, <laughs> right? You should be praying more. When's the last time you prayed? I can't remember. Guys, the point is, we don't just tell people. We don't just exhort people. We don't, don't just encourage people. We should act it out in front of them, amen? We should be, you know, and I love this. The prophets exhorted them. They went and grabbed a hammer. Let's go, guys. We're going to build this. Hey, give me a tool bag. Let me get in there. Let me help. Let me be a part of it. And they did more than just encourage them in what to do. They helped them in the work. The work of these prophets was effective and helped the people properly reorder their priorities and resume building the temple. And they rose up and began to build the house of God. A servant is to lead by example. Anyone who cannot or will not serve should never lead. Amen? And the only people wearing a crown in heaven are carrying a cross on earth. It's only the people that serve here faithfully and lay down their lives here faithfully that are going to receive the, the, the rewards in heaven. And again, I'm not striving for rewards, but we should because the Bible tells us to. Amen? But while we're here, should we be about it for the kingdom of God and quit waiting for someone else to do it? Well, I wish somebody would come along and fix that. That door's been broken for six years. I've walked by it 10,000 times. When's a guy coming by? Dude, go get a hammer and fix it. Can I get an amen to that? And I love how these, these prophets did more than just preach it. They lived it. And I love the examples we see in the apostles as well. Zerubbabel was the governor, and Joshua was the high priest, and these guys were helping. They were taking an active role. They were being a part of it. So point number one there, by remaining faithful and humble... So he's letting them all know, hey, we're not done here. We need to be about the work. But in doing the work, everyone should be serving. Everyone should be a part of it. Everyone should be faithful. And again, no one is above, again, doing the most simple things. And again, let's make sure we don't allow our desires, our agenda, our wants to go in front of God's. Point number two, when you respond in obedience to do God's will, don't be surprised when the enemy rises up. Look at verse three. At the same time, Tetane the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shetur Bonsnai, and their companions came to him and spoke thus, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish the wall? So they're not just working on the temple, now they're working on the walls surrounding Jerusalem. So 15 years earlier, the people had come with the exact same challenge. They start building it, and now the governor beyond the river. So this is a, remember that the river is where Jordan, you know, the Jordan River, and that's where the land of promise is. So they're in the land of promise, and they're letting the people know, hey, you know what? You're going to lose all the people beyond the river. So they had a governor beyond the river who watched over the, those territories. He gets word that within his territory, they're rebuilding the temple. So the governor runs over there, and who said, who in the world said you could do that? Who said it was okay? And thankfully, it was. if I was there, I'd probably be in jail because I would have said, well, God said, that's who. And just keep stepping, bro. I mean, we're doing this for the Lord. Now, that's not always the best, right? So these guys, they're, okay, they're being challenged. And they're being challenged by the governor. Now, did God tell them to rebuild it? What's the answer? Did he use the prophets to tell them to do it? What's the answer? So who should they obey? Now, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with trying to appease the governor at the same time and letting him know why you're building it. And that's exactly what they're going to do. But notice, as soon as they started building it, opposition came. Like every spiritual advance, again, from Noah, Abraham, every missionary journey, you know, throughout the book of Acts, anything in the Bible, you almost always see that the word of God is what gets them to start, and it's quickly tested and threatened by the enemy. Look at verse 4. Then it says in verse 4, then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. They said, who told you to build it? Then they started telling the names of who was working on the building. Here's all the guys working on the building. And by the way, Haggai's on that list, right? So Zechariah. So these men of God are all working on the building and they're saying, well, who told you that you could do this? 
This was recorded by Ezra to demonstrate that there's no hint of rebellion among the returned Jews. In no way were they trying to rebel against the Persian king. They didn't hide it. As believers, we should not have to hide what we are doing for the Lord. Amen? Don't hide it. Well, I'm doing this for the Lord, but I just don't want my neighbors to know. Right? You know, don't let anybody know that we're doing this. You know, you're doing a Bible study at work. Don't tell anybody that we're doing this. Guys, don't hide it. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Amen? If we're doing something for the Lord, we should be excited about it and let everyone know about it. Amen? We're not undercover. They told them their names. Oh, these are all the guys that are working here. I'm working. You know, they're swinging a hammer. I'm here, bro. I'm serving here. You want my whole name? You want my driver's license? I'll give it to you, right? I mean, I'm here. I'm serving the Lord. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not being, you know, uh, quiet about it. And I'm going to be faithful to it. As believers, may we never hide our faith or what we are doing for the Lord out of the fear of man. Amen? Now, God's given me a boldness most of my life, but at this point in my life, I'm at a place where it's just totally different, where I've stopped apologizing for any of it, in a sense. You know, I would like to be a little more, and I'm now I'm like, they'll, they'll say, well, this, and, and they want to attack me. I say, attack me all you want. What about Jesus? Let's just talk about him, creator of all things. Let's talk about him. Let's just take, and, and say they think they're so smart and intelligent, and then I'll, 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 they'll say, what does the Bible say? I say, well, one of the things the Bible says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's one. Can I get an amen to that? And just letting them know, look, you're arrogant, you're self-righteous, and guess what? You need Jesus, and I'm going to pray for you. But here's the reality. I'm not going to tiptoe around and try to be politically correct. I'm just going to let you know that you're headed to hell without Jesus if you don't get saved. And while we got sinners, Christ died for us. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But I'm not going to be quiet anymore and worried about being called ophobic of any kind anymore. Any man? Just tell them. Hey, guys, you need Jesus. We had a divine appointment. You need the Lord. I always wear, I wear a lot of witness wear, and a guy came up to me recently and goes, are you a Jesus freak? I go, bro, who better to be a freak for? Who better to be a freak for? Who are you a freak for? I'm a freak for Jesus all day. Can I get him into that? Let's be freaks for Jesus, right? So we don't want to fear men, we fear God. Be loving, be kind, be gracious, but don't be afraid to proclaim the truth of the word of God, amen? It's the truth, it's the word, it's the answer, it's all our hope. It's the only thing that doesn't return void. Your opinions return void, the word of God doesn't, Amen? Verse 5, but the eye of, the, of God was upon the elders of the Jews, so they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius, then a written answer was returned concerning the matter. Now notice, God told them to do it, then they stepped out in faith. Then the governor came and questioned them. They boldly said, yes, we're all doing the work, and then God showed them favor because they did not wilt. They did not fade. They stood up for the things of God. They told them the truth. They proclaimed it with boldness. And then the Lord said, we're not going to let him make you stop. Now, to a much smaller degree, that's exactly what happened with us having church during COVID. Amen? Well, we're going to have this two-week, three-month, 12-month, two years until the Lord comes back. Don't have church. And there are a lot of, I had pastors calling me up saying, you're not, you know, you're not submitting to authority. I submit to the authority until they tell me to act contrary to the word of God. Amen. And so the eye of God was upon the elders of of the Jews and he didn't make them cease. God was watching over them and his hand of blessing was upon them. Do you know that whenever you are serving the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are upon you? Do you know he's inter- Jesus is interceding on your behalf as you faithfully serve him? I want you to know the most precious time of my life is when I'm studying. Because when I'm studying, it's me and the Lord at my desk, sometimes in the middle of the night. And people will say, oh, I feel bad for you. You stayed up all night. I said, you were sleeping. I was hanging out with Jesus. I feel sorry for you. Can I get him into that? But when we are faithfully serving the Lord, the Lord is with us. The Holy Spirit is strengthening us, amen? And instead of doing things that are all going to burn and won't matter in heaven, let's be about things that are eternal. So God was watching over them, obey God and leave the result. So they obeyed God and they faced resistance and God just stepped in. Well, we're going to have to wait till they at least send a letter to Darius, because remember, by the way, Darius, why, why do we know that name? What was, what was, he, what was he doing as king when a major event in the Bible happened, he was king. What was it? 
when Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. Do you think Darius being impacted by Daniel a little bit? We know he was, because when he threw him in the lion's den, do you remember? He got fooled into throwing him into the lion's den by the other wise men by outlawing prayer. Do you guys remember that? They couldn't catch Daniel in anything else. He kept being raised. So the other wise men got him to outlaw prayer and say he could only pray to Darius. And they, he found out he'd been duped. And he throws Daniel in the lion's den. And what does he say? Daniel, your God whom you serve, he will deliver you. And then he's in the lion's den. And Darius is up all night tearing the temple apart. And then he runs down and Daniel lived, of course, because God had his hand upon him. And then Darius said after that, he made a decree that Daniel's God is God. See, because he stood for the things of God, amen? Well, this is the Darius that the letter's going to. Now, we don't know in scripture if it's before or after the lion's den, it's right around that time. So if the lion's didn't happen, how do you think he's going to receive the letter? He's already said, Daniel's God is God. And they're going to get a note coming to Darius and they're going to show it to him. And he's going to read it. So let's take a look at it. But as believers, the results of the fruit are not up to us. Here's what we're called to do. Be obedient. Amen? God calls you, you obey. Who brings the fruit? God does. God does. So if, if you have a ministry that's fruitful, God gets all the glory. Amen? If you're serving faithful, faithfully and it's not as fruitful as you would like, that's still in the Lord's hands. You just be faithful where you are and, and, and let the Lord be the one who brings the fruit. Amen? So in this case, they had obeyed and God blessed their work and protected them. And there are times when God's people obey and we may face persecution. Sometimes you're obeying the Lord, you might lose your job. Amen? You might be obeying the Lord and, you know, lose friends. Have neighbors who are upset with you. There might be things that take you in your life. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? So as believers, let's, you know, don't be, don't be persecuted because you're a jerk, okay? You know, don't be a jerk. I had a clo- I've shared this with you before. We had a coworker in San Jose, and he would go by people's desk, and he would just yell at them. You're going to fry in hell, man. You're blah, 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 and scream. I'm like, yeah, well, that's effective. How's that working, bro? And he goes, I'm getting persecuted. I go, no, you're just being a jerk. I said, well, you know, we have a Bible study. A bunch of people come to it. People are getting saved. And again, be bold, be direct, but be kind. Amen? So the eye of the Lord was upon them. And then it said they were going to continue to build until the report came back from Darius. Now, that's significant. It's 900 miles. So they're going to write a letter, hand it to a guy, He's going to go 900 miles, talk to Darius, have him write a letter back and come out, and they could be halfway done by the time that thing is back, right? So the point is that they're going to be busy about the work, and at the same time, it's being delivered to the Lord. You know, churches stay open again when the law forbids it during COVID. Obey the word of God's commands, forsake not the gathering yourselves together, hide nothing, and again, you will face consequences if necessary. By the way, people are blown back on Mike Johnson big time. You know who he is? Our new speaker of the house. And that brother, God bless him. I just want to make him president. How about king? He could be king. Let's make king. Because that brother, I love that. They go, what is your position on that? He goes, just read the Bible. It's what the Bible says. I'm like, dude. And people's heads are exploding. How dare you quote the Bible like that? Praise the Lord, man. We need more people like that. So when you respond in obedience to do God's will, don't be surprised when the enemy rises up and a near, every, nearly every spiritual advance comes with a faithful obedience to the word of God, but then it gets quickly tested by the world. Number three, number three there, give God your best. Don't just serve him halfway. Look at verse six. This is the letter, a copy of the letter that Tatanau sent. The governor of the region beyond the river, Shatel Banzai and his companions, the Persians, who were in the region beyond the river to Darius the king. So I love that he writes it. Notice he says he makes a copy of this letter. In those days, they didn't just hit print, right? So praise the Lord that he actually made another, and again, this is wisdom. He made a copy of the letter because he's handed it off to be traveled 900 miles. That thing could get lost. That dude could die on the way. So he makes a copy of the letter. Well, the good news is that copy of the letter is what we're reading right now. And so praise God, he made a copy of the letter, and and we're reading it 2,500 years later, and the guy that wrote the copy had no idea 2,500 years later, in Thousand Oaks, we'd be reading his letter. Can I get an amen to that? You just never know how God's going to use things when you faithfully use them. So tonight, it even goes as far, again, he makes a copy, 
And he's just doing his duty to report to the king he serves the events and discussion that took place with the Jews when he saw that they were rebuilding the temple. And he's going to give an honest account. I'm really, this governor here, um, unlike most everyone, he's actually going to do a, write him a letter with exactly what happened. I don't think I've heard of that happening in so long. I don't know. Everything we hear, it's, it's somebody's interpretation, right? He's actually going to say, this is what happened. This is what they were doing. This is what they told me. And they're going to send it to Darius. And here's what the letter says. Look at verse 7. They sent the letter to him which is written thus to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went to the province of Judea, to the temple of the great God. Now, I love that he says the temple of the great God. Amen. He's not a believer. He's not a, he's not a Jew. He's not a, one of God's people, but he recognizes it as the temple of the great God. The Persians knew of God's greatness. It says, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid on the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Now, the way he's describing the, what's being built is he tells us how diligent the people are. Even the people on the outside, even this governor on the outside, man, they're using heavy stones. You know, it's interesting. The word for heavy stones literally means in, the, in Aramaic is rolling stones. Not Big Jagger, but rolling stones. And what it means is the stones were so big, they had to be put on rollers to move them because they were so heavy. And so he sees the temple and he sees they're using these huge stones. They're using great uh, timber and they're working diligently. And he sees that they're making progress quickly. So even somebody who doesn't know God sees how diligently and how faithfully they are serving the Lord. They're not just showing up for 10 minutes and then taking an eight hour break at the beach, right? What are they doing? They're doing it for the Lord and they're doing it with all that they have. And again, even the prophets are alongside them. Tetanai even goes as far as, and not just wanting to make a copy of it, but he's telling them exactly what was taking place in uh, Jerusalem. And it's good to hear it. So they sent the letter to him. It was written, the king Darius, and Darius was the king when Daniel was cast into the lion's den. And again, he will say later, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And Darius, after Daniel is delivered from the lion's den, talks about the greatness of our God. Let me quote it to you exactly, because that's, this is who it's being delivered to. He says this at the end of Daniel 6, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's pretty clear, isn't it? For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Why was Darius so passionate about who God was? Because he watched Daniel's life. And guys, sometimes we're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. Amen? And because he saw the power of what God did in Daniel's life, he now is proclaiming it to the whole nation because one man remained faithful. So no doubt he had a much higher view of the Lord and his followers because he had seen God's power in Daniel and the letter is coming to him. Now it could have come right before the lion's den, we don't know, but it was right around the same time. So Daniel's faithfulness and, pro and refusal to compromise led to God's powerful deliverance of Daniel from the lion's den and D D Darius's decree about the true and living God. And you know, people a lot of times base belief on what they've seen. Why do people attack Christianity? Why? They're ignorant, yes, but why do they attack Christianity more than any other? Because of Christians, people that call themselves Christians. Amen? I would go on sales calls. I would meet these guys and they go, yeah, I know you're a pastor, but man, I had this guy rip me off. We did a $2 million deal and he only paid me half and then he, di he didn't do this. And you know, all, all those guys with Christian fish, I'll never do work with them again. And, and the reality is that, yeah, some people do horrible things in the name of Christ. Amen. So whenever I talk to people, I always point them to Jesus. I get it. Yeah. There's, there's some horrible Christians. There's some people that say they're Christians that don't honor the Lord. You're right. But guess what? You're not going to stand before them on Judgment Day. You're going to stand before Jesus. Amen? A believer's behavior can impact how someone sees 
all other believers, reflections of, we can either be a reflection of Christ or we can be hypocrites. And so he tells them in verse 8, let it be known again that we went to the province, we saw what they were doing, and they were working faithfully. And it said, and we asked those elders and spoke to them, who, verse 9, commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? So they come directly to him and they just ask him a straight up question. Who told you to do this? Now, the quality of their work is great. They're working really hard. They see how it's going and they're like, okay, who told you? Verse 9, and they said, verse 10, we also asked them their names to inform you what we might write to the names of the men who were chief among them. So they were asked, who commanded you and, and who's the chief among you? And we will see both faithfulness to the truth and humility that points to God, not themselves. So they're going to be asked the question, look, wow, look what you're doing with the temple. Man, this thing's going up fast. How in the world are you doing this? Who told you to do it? We want to know who told you, and then we want to get all of your names. Now, they're going to withhold their names in a second, but not because they're afraid. We talked about it earlier. They're not afraid to give their names. But watch how they respond in a way that I really, really love in the next point. Point number four, your testimony should include both your faithfulness to God and your need for redemption. So they're recognizing that a great work is being done, and they want names in a sense to be able to put into the letter, but also to give credit for what they were doing. But watch how they respond, and I love this. Look at verse 11. And thus they return to us answers saying, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. Here's what they said. Who are the people building the temple? We're just servants of Almighty God. We're not going to take any attention away from that. We're doing it for the Lord. To God alone be all the glory. And who commanded us to do it? Well, initially there was a king that allowed us to build this temple to begin with. Now remember that when they originally came 15 years earlier, they were told by King Cyrus that they could go back and build the temple. Matter of fact, he gave them some of the things they needed to build it. So he had told them they could go and they could build it. They were given permission by one of the kings in Israel to build it. God also commanded them, of course, which is above everything else. And notice they don't take any credit for it. They say, we're just servants of Almighty God. God is the one who told us to build it. And one of the kings of Israel is the one who gave us permission to build it. It's interesting that, again, a Christian follower of God says he is our Lord, he is our master, and we are simply his servants. This means that we obey his commands. Remember when the Sanhedrin first arrested Peter, they commanded him to stop talking about Jesus. I have a person that's online that's put, put up a few uh, TikToks about me. They're not real favorable, but that's okay. And, and uh, she, was, she went here years ago, and now she's de- deconstructing. And, and she put this whole thing saying, Pastor Dave, you and all other Christians, you can be Christians all you want, just keep it to yourself. Well, that's not how Christianity works. Can I get him into that? But here's what they're saying. Here is to Peter. They told Peter, stop talking about Jesus. That'd be like, now this is spirit-filled Peter after Pentecost, okay? This isn't Peter before Pentecost who went and hid and denied the Lord. This is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and they tell him to quit talking about Jesus. That's like telling a believer to quit breathing. Amen? How does Peter respond? When an angel released him from prison, he went straight to the temple and began preaching again. And when he was brought again before the Sanhedrin, they reminded him that they ordered him to stop talking about Jesus. And here was Peter's response. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said to them, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Amen? So when men tell us to stop worshiping, to stop sharing our faith, to keep our faith to ourselves, this is when we obey God rather than men. When King Cyrus gave them permission to go home and rebuild, it was the Lord's command they followed. They pointed to God, not themselves. It's not us. We're doing this because God has commanded us to do it. And by the way, there was a king that allowed us to do this. Verse 12. Now watch this, because they're going to start giving their testimony. This is the testimony that they're sharing through Cyrus, or to to, uh, uh, Darius, excuse me. And they're going to share this with this governor. Look what it says in verse 12. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, 
He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed the temple and carried the people away to Babylon. So when he says the king of Israel, that was the original building, and that was King David and King Solomon. They built the temple. God was the one who ordained it. And because of their own disobedience, because they got caught up in idolatry and they were walking in open rebellion against Almighty God, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come and destroy the temple. So the temple was originally, again, God is the one who gave the plans to David. This was God's temple. God had it created. Then it got leveled. Then they went and they were in bondage for 70 years. Then they came back with Cyrus's permission to go back and rebuild it. So first of all, it was God's calling. It was God's king of Israel who made the first command to build it and helped them build it. And now even Cyrus, a pagan king, said they could go back and build it. So they're letting them know where it came. I, I love the transparency, though, that their testimony included not only their obedient response to God's command, but their sinful past as well. Their idolatry and rebellion that led to the wrath of right and righteous judgment of God. As believers, that's part of our testimony. I don't, I don't think we should dwell on it or celebrate it, but I think often... God, will, God may put you in a path with somebody that struggles with something that you used to struggle with and God delivered you, and you have a better way to communicate with them probably than I do. Amen? So if it, okay, example, I've never done drugs or alcohol in my life. It's just never been a thing, ever. Obviously, it was a part of stuff that's happened in my family. But if somebody was struggling with it, I would have one of my sons talk to them or Brett, Brett or somebody else, right, that has got that background and can minister to them. And the same is true for us, that, you know, there are people that we can minister to in a different way than other people can. And part of that is when we share our testimony. We never share our testimony to talk about the good old days when I used to get drunk, okay? Those are not good old days. Or park, that was puking in the, in the gutter days, and we always remember the good part of sin and not the bad part, amen? But notice, I love that they're transparent. They don't act like you know, hey, we're perfect. They made it very clear. Because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, it was our fault, that it got our, our family's fault. And they gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. That's why we were in captivity to begin with. It was our fault. We disobeyed God. That's what happened. So he's not pretending like Israel was perfect. Then he says in verse 13, 14, and 15, look what it says there. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon... King Cyrus issued a decree to build the house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried them to the temple in Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one named Sheshbazar, and that's, that's um, Zerubbabel, another name for him, who had been made governor. He was the governor. And he said to him, take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. So not only did King David and King Solomon, did God use them to have it built, but now again, Cyrus, a pagan king, is going to let them go home. And he even, Nebuchadnezzar, when he burnt the temple to the ground, he took a lot of the implements back and put them into their temple in, in uh, Babylon. Matter of fact, when we get to Daniel chapter 5, you'll see that. Belshazzar's getting liquored up on stuff that was supposed to be used in the worship of the Lord. And so there's another reason why I think the stuff with Daniel has already happened, because chapter 5 happens, then chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den, and, when, and he's already sent the stuff back with him 15 years earlier. So I think it's already happened, but you know, I don't know for sure. Now, while ultimately God's command that moved them after 70 years in exile... Again, Cyrus had defeated Babylon. God moved on King Cyrus's heart to allow them to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. So he's letting them know, we've heard from God. We've heard from the king of Israel and the king of, who overthrew Babylon, the king of Persia, whom you serve, a previous king in your position, told us we could rebuild it. So they're making the case why it's okay. Now, you obey God rather than men, but when we have an opportunity to make a case according to the law of men, we should. Amen? He's basically letting them know. Pray, pray for Mike McClure at Calvary San Jose. They were, they were fined $2.4 million during COVID for having church, and it still hasn't, they still haven't resolved it. And it's probably going to end up in the Supreme Court, and we all hope it does, and the Supreme Court strikes it down, and we'll never have to worry about it again. Amen? 
But the point is, there is a time, so they're basically telling them, based on their ways of doing the law, the king told us we could. And that's why we were rebuilding it. And so we've been told by God, we've been told by uh, the kings, and we've been told by one of your kings. So they're making the case, and they're going to take that case back to Darius, and he's going to respond in the chapter that we will see next week. So they had both the command and call of God, and they had the permission of the king. And you know what? Ideally, that's the best. When we have the freedom to do it openly and boldly, when we can stand on what the law, we're thankful that we live in a country. If we lived in China right now, and they walked in this room, we're having a Bible study, you get four years in prison for being at a Bible study. We don't live in that, thankfully, amen? But no one says it won't come, and it could. So we're thankful for that, and, we want, and we're thankful that we can make a stand against it. If they came in here and arrested us, we could go to court and get attorneys, we could fight it. But even if they, if they, they outlaw it, then we should still be willing to meet, amen? amen? So your testimony should include both the faithfulness of God and your need for redemption. Include not only your obedient present, but your sinful past, and the fact that we are still works in progress. And I love, can, can you imagine just uh, the, the governor hearing this and they're just, yeah, it was our fault. We lost this, it was what we did. We blew it. We dishonored God. And a lot of ways, isn't that a great testimony to say, you know, people who dishonor God, he judges them. Might be you next, amen, if you don't know the Lord. Final point, obey the laws of the land. Look at the last two verses. Then the same Shezbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and it is not finished. So they had 15 years earlier, they had laid the foundation. It's just been sitting there. And people are walking by it every day and nobody's working on it. And because they were told they couldn't. And so they just got distracted and went about their lives. And he's letting them know. And this letter is being delivered to Darius, who has become king after all these commands had taken place. And he's going to read this letter and see all the facts and all the reasons why they're rebuilding the temple. And as I said, we'll see his answer in chapter 16. And so they think they ought to Look in the libraries of Babylon to find out if these records are there. Look at verse 17. Now, therefore, it seems good to the king. Let our search be made in the king's treasure house, whether it is in Babylon, whether it is so that a, a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure concerning the matter. So he's actually telling them, go back and look, because they kept records of everything, to find out if the king said it was okay. 15 years ago, before it was put to a stop. And you know what? In a sense, that's what we do with our constitution. Amen? That's what we do when someone comes along and says, separation of church and state, not in the constitution. Amen? It's not, any, it's not an amendment. It's not in there. The only, Thomas Jefferson wrote it in a letter, and he was protecting the church from the state, not the other way around. Amen? But what happens is you have people saying things out of line. Well, let's see what the... Let's go back and see what the founding father said. And that's what's taking place here. Go back and search the library and see if this really happened. Because we know that we stand on the truth and we know that we came out or being told we could do it. And now we're doing it. And you know what? God told us to do it. The kings of Israel told us to do it. We had prophets come and exhort us to do it. And even your own king said it was okay for us to do it. So just go check. Amen? Love that. And as believers, we can stand on that confidence, can't we? The world's hemming and hawing. We got him and hawing about everything, anything. We know the beginning and the end. God wins. Amen. We don't have to panic. We don't have to live in fear because our God is greater than any circumstance we will ever face. Born again believers, God's word is always the ultimate authority. Who shall obey God or men? We should do our best to operate under the laws of the land and to know how to stand for the freedoms given to us by the law. Obey the law until it commands us to disobey the word of God. And then and only then do we break the law. Amen? Because the word of God is the ultimate law. So in closing, how to have victory in the face of the enemy's attacks. Remain faithful and humble. Don't, don't, don't touch the glory. Give God all the praise, the glory, and the honor. 
praise his name, honor him, recognize that opposition will come from the outside. We don't want to fall into the trap where we allow distraction on the inside to keep us from doing what God's called us to do. Number two, when you respond in obedience to God's will, don't be surprised when the enemy rises up. Again, nearly, nearly every spiritual advance in scripture begins with God's word and is quickly tested by the enemy. When I just talked to another guy today who, who's, a, who's planting a church. I love church planters, by the way. They're automatically my friend. Guys, I, what are you up to, bro? I'm planting a church. Bro, when do you want to have lunch? I want to talk to you. Love you, man. Because it's, it's the base jumping of ministry. You jump off the cliff and say, catch me, okay? You start with nothing, and you trust God to do all of it. And so when I talk to people like that, I love it because they're just stepping out in faith and they're trusting God to show up, and they want to see you know, the Lord. But you know what happens? Every time I talk to a guy who's planting a church, opposition immediately. Our church in Santa Cruz, we were planting our third week. They had a lesbian play in the room we're supposed to be meeting in. And people were coming to church and going into the lesbian play. We had to go, we're actually meeting in the parking lot tonight because they gave our room away. And, and there was nobody there to talk to. And so when, you, when you're doing something for the Lord, know that opposition will come. But opposition coming means that God's going to do something. Amen? Satan's resources are limited. He's not going after something that's not going to be fruitful. Amen? So when opposition comes, it just makes you want to say, charge, praise the Lord, amen? Let's move forward. Give God your best. Don't just serve him halfway. The depths of our belief will be reflected in the depths of our passion to serve the Lord. Serving God should be a get to, not a have to, amen? Shouldn't be, oh no, it's my turn. It should be, oh, praise the Lord, I get to. Number four, your testimony should include both the faithfulness of God and your need for redemption. Include not only your obedient present, but your sinful past and obey the laws of the land. Be a good citizen until they tell you that to disobey the word of God. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the lessons you teach us week by week. Help us to apply the things we saw in tonight's text. The thing that really just rings true is them being so distracted and so self-centered for 15 years that all the work stopped. And I pray, Lord, we would never come to a place well, all the work stops because we're just chasing after the world. We're just distracted by the things of the world. We're just worried about being comfortable. Lord, we'll, we'll be comfortable when we get to heaven. You, we know that you will comfort us in our trials. You're a faithful God. I pray for everyone who's here tonight. Stir up the gifts you've given us. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, help us to get out of our comfort zone. We pray for divine appointments tomorrow and the coming days. Lord, opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. We pray for our nation that you would bring revival, but Lord, may you start in our hearts first. So Lord, be glorified. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.